As I mentioned at the start, this coming Wednesday, there will be a minute of silence in schools, maybe different places where people consider what happened in 1918 on November the 11th when the guns fell silent. It was the war to end all wars, so to speak. They, had, they were going to, once and for all, finish this conflict-riddled world, and they were going to, now, now we're going to make peace. It lasted all of until 1939, and war broke out again in much more violent or a much more aggressive form than World War I had known. World War I was bad, but World War II was far worse. And if there's anything that they learned was, we can't get along. We have to just kill each other off. And I'm not saying one side or the other side. It's just, just bad. It's just, just wrong. And it ended in, World War II ended in, in May of 1915 when Germany surrendered. In the Pacific, under the U.S. and the Japanese continued fighting, and two nuclear bombs were dropped in that. And Japan surrendered. And so now, now again, they had peace. Really? Did they have peace? They stopped fighting. But peace has still not come. Just look around. Peace is still elusive. It doesn't come. Peace is rare in our time. And I'm not talking peace with guns and that kind of stuff or stop shooting and now have peace. Not that kind of peace. That's just the, that's just the outward workings and the fruit of, of much worse. I mean, there's something inside the heart that perpetuates, that, that drives all of this. There's, there's something in the heart. I've titled my sermon simply called to peace. Peace is rare in our time. It doesn't matter where we look. Uh, there's fear, tension, stress, worry, and anxiety. and They are real, but it's not the worst of it. When you mix these components, tension, stress, worry, anxiety, you mix that with hostility, pride, anger, and, heaven forbid, power, you got an awful toxic brew. It's very destructive. That turns bad. When people resort to violence to solve disagreements, things reach a very low point. When peace is gone, there's a vacancy, and Satan is all too eager to fill it with whatever diabolical plan he can, he can come up with. Let me just, as I go through my sermon this morning, I just want to make some comments. One is peace and violence do not occupy the same heart at the same time. It's not possible. You cannot have peace and violence in your heart at the same time. The two do not mix. It's not possible. People are not violently, violently peaceful. I want to clarify something here, however. When I use the word violence, I'm not talking about a father pulling his four-year-old son off the back of his two-year-old sister because he's clobbering her. The son is using violence, but the father, by taking him off the back of his little sister, is not using violence. He's using force but not violence. That's not violence. Or if a law enforcement officer physically restrains a man from beating his wife, that's not violence. It's force, but it's not violence. What is violence? Violence is malicious aggression, one person to another, for the purpose of domination and control. Evil intent. What is peace? Peace is that inner state of existence, state of being when there's common rest in the soul regardless of circumstance or situation. I remember many years ago, I was a teenager at the time and 
there was some there was a village some ways away from us and there was these two teenage boys one of whom I knew and I didn't hear directly from them but they they got into a fight a conflict a verbal altercation of some sort they couldn't come to an agreement and and they, they, they parted ways like that and it got worse discussions happened and it got worse and then one guy finally just said he said this matter will not be reconciled without the use of fists. In German, it has a different ring to it, and it, it's, it's, it's just it's this oxymoronic statement. And I, I thought about that a lot. Okay, reconciliation with fists, it's not possible. You don't reconcile with fighting, with force. You can't do that. It doesn't work. They don't go together. You can't create peace with violence. I've reflected on that many times since. And in essence, violence is only a form of communication. It's all it is. So you talk to each other. You try to get a message across. You try to get that person to get the message, and they're not getting it. You start talking louder, more forcefully. Finally, you start yelling. And finally, you start throwing punches. That's awful. And heaven forbid, you start throwing bullets. It's bad. Somebody said, you can't shake hands with clenched fists. Maybe it sounds humorous, but now we have fist bumps. I don't know where that came from. But I want to bring this down to a different level and just bear with me for a while because I will eventually get to the Bible. Do you know what the most dangerous, toxic, unstable, it's worse than nitroglycerin, it's more dangerous than the atomic bomb, it's the human tongue. There's no human device. No, I shouldn't say. There's no physical device, physical, physical instrument or physical limb or part of the body. There's nothing that has created more disunity, more conflict, resulted in more death than how we use our tongue. Because that's the foundation out of which all of this comes. Well, it's the brain, the mind, the heart. But the tongue is the instrument used to perpetuate, to propagate this. And it's, it's not like as if we need help in this, do we? I mean, have you ever seen a parent teaching a little kid how to hit? It's always the other way around. We had that with our boys, and I'm sure they wouldn't mind us sharing it, because when they were little, you know, they're such adorable little kids, but as soon as they're three and four years old, they start hitting each other. And, and the comment, don't hit, don't hit. Where did they learn that? They're born pre-wired. For self-preservation. We have this, this sinful bent from Adam and Eve, and we just, it just perpetuates. We as mom and dad are sinful, and the kids uh, inherit that trait, and then they carry that on, and it's a constant fighting against it. We don't want it to happen. You don't have to teach a three-year-old to hit. They just do it. Biting, kicking, screaming, hitting. How many parents of you have not said, no hitting, no hitting? Any parent has never said that? I don't see any hands go up. If you have children, you've probably said it. And it's up to us adults to teach this. And you know what? This is as old as Cain and Abel. That's where it began. And it's as new as that little three-year-old had a birthday maybe last weekend hitting his little brother or sister or somebody else. I want to interject a little something else here. It may get me in trouble with some of you people, and that's okay. This is just maybe my personal thing, but I do I think I have some biblical back, backing on this one. 
I cringe when people use force against people in a way that demeans them. And I say this nicely. And some of you will read between the lines what I'm talking about. I don't think it's normal when an image of God does something to another image of God that desacralizes that image. We're made for glory. We're made to represent God on earth. And yes, sometimes it gets to an extreme, even though there is no ill intent. Just thought I'd put that out there. Because it does tend to lead to animosity and hostility at some point. The world is swimming, brimming, overflowing, with ten tension and conflict everywhere. And if conflict were water, we'd have a global flood. But if peace were rain, the world would be a parched desert. Peace in our time is harder to find than water in a desert. In our time, peace is becoming something that we're increasingly seeing less and less of. And conflict and tension increasing, increasingly measures of more and more. Now, I do not need to mention the upheaval, just look around, and maybe you shouldn't look around, but uh, you know what I'm talking about. And if we listen to the, um, to, um, for instance, Voice of the Martyrs, I love reading Voice of the Martyrs articles. The religious violence that's out there. That to me always hits home because you're told what you can or can't believe. And they, they'll force you. So the Bible calls us to peace. We're called to be peacemakers. And we want to read some passages, and, that, and I'm going to go to James chapter 3, the, the topic of the tongue. I'll be there in a, in a few minutes. But before we do that, let's re read Matthew 5, 9. Matthew 5, verse 9 talks about this. He says, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. That's an interesting statement. There's a reward connected with being a peacemaker. There's a relational factor here. Let's read Proverbs 12.20. The Proverbs writer says, Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but those who plan peace have joy. You don't have to feel guilty or apprehensive or wondering, is this the right thing to do? If you plan peace, there will be joy. Two different kinds of people are mentioned in this passage. Jesus himself said at one point in time, he said, he who's not with me is against me. He was a man of peace. He did say at one point, I didn't come to bring peace but a sword, but we have to take that in its right context, and this is not what that is referring to. Basically, people who strive for peace will be, end up in conflict because others who want war will not like that. That's what that means. Let's read also Romans chapter 14, verse 19. Paul writes to the church in Rome, he says, So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Peace is like the glue, the bonding ingredient that keeps things together. Tell me, no, you don't have to speak, but when peace is gone, what keeps it from crumbling? Nothing. It all crumbles. Relationships, communities. When peace is gone, it just falls apart. Let's read some more passages. Ecclesiastes 10 verse 4 says, If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. Chill. 
Time out. Stop. Patience is virtue when it comes to conflict. Don't rush. Let it rest. Take your time. Romans 12, 18 says this. Paul writes again, it's earlier in Romans, he says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. He says, if possible. There's an if there. It may not be possible, but if there's conflict, if there's division, if there's strife, let it not be because we didn't do the right thing. And a good question we could ask ourselves is, if everybody did as Jake Enns does, would there be more peace or less? If everybody does as you do, would there be more peace or less? If it is pos- if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. It doesn't say live peaceably with your friends, not your enemies. It's with all. It doesn't matter who. Let's read Hebrews 12, 14. The writer says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Now that word everyone, if we could just circle that and replace it with strive for peace with your friends. Everyone means everyone. No exclusions. No exceptions. But you mean that guy? Yeah, that guy. And there's some people we may not even want to look at. I don't like that person. I I don't want to see that person. People might say those things. Strive to live peaceably with all people, with everyone. And then there's a qualifier for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So living at peace is tied to holiness. Peace, in short, is not optional in the Christian's life. It is standard. It's part of who we are as peaceful people. In the Bible, there have always been people who lived this and who exemplified this, who modeled this. A good story is Abraham, Genesis chapter 13. Let's read a passage there, but let me make a few comments before, it ha- before I read the story to put this into, back into context. Abraham had entered the land of Canaan, and he was living there as a sojourner, as a foreigner, with his nephew Lot. They had huge flocks and herds, and then in time to come, their flocks grew to a size where the, the pasture lands, the grazing lands, were not quite enough for them. And so the servants, Lot's servants and Abram's servants, started fighting, conflict. Abram said, let's not have fighting between our herdsmen, mine and yours. Let's live peaceably. Let's read Genesis 13, verse 8. Abram said to Lot, let there be no strife between you and me, between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you separate yourself from me? If you take the left, then I will go to the right. If you take the right, then I'll go to the left. You pick. You pick. That's peace. Abraham was the uncle. He had the right to tell Lot where to go. He says, no, you pick. And of course, we know the story Lot chose for himself in a greedy way and didn't do so well for him, but that's beside the point. Abram had peace. Peacemaking is not easy. It costs. It's going to take a price. You have to make a sacrifice for it. It's not easy. Another story in the Bible is the story of Esther. We had that at Young Adults last Thursday night. And Esther was this young Jewish woman, an orphan girl, uh, raised by her uncle Mordecai, or cousin Mordecai. And lo and behold, she ended up in the palace as queen through no effort of her own. It just happened. God ordained it. And then this one man in the kingdom decides he wants to get rid of all the Jews in the kingdom. Esther so happens to be a Jewish. 
And then Mordecai tells her, you need to go talk to the king on our behalf. And long story short, she does. And the nation, the Jewish people are saved in the nation of uh, Persia. And Esther chapter 3, 10 verse 3 says, now Morton, the story ends happily for the Jews. And Mordecai gets promoted. It says in Esther chapter 10 verse 3, Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Ahasuerus. He was great among the Jews and popular with a, with a multitude of his brothers. For he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people. He's the kind of man you want in authority, in leadership. He brought peace. You don't want a leader who's not peaceable, who's not peaceful, who's hostile, angry, Aggressive, violent. Jesus is the best example. Isaiah 53.5 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. Isaiah the prophet said this. The work of Jesus on the cross brought us into right standing. Erased the, satisfied the wrath of God against sin that was standing against us. We brought to peace. Let's look at James chapter 3. And in this chapter we will find that the tongue is the gateway to either peace or to conflict. And nowhere is this more evident than in the use of the tongue. Let's read James chapter 3, beginning verse 1. James is writing to believers. He's not writing to non-Christians, okay? He's writing to Christians. He says, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Really? Okay, let's all just shut up. He says, you guys who do the talking, you guys will have a stricter judgment. He's talking to Christians, believers. Makes me want to stop right now. Just don't say anything anymore because if you make a mistake, and we all sin in many ways, that's why I'm so thankful for God's grace. Our tongue is a very key instrument in how we come across and what, our, what effect we have on other people. And he goes on to explain what he's trying to say and says in verse 2, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, able, to also, able also to bridle his whole body. If anyone does not stumble in what he says. I don't think there's such a thing as anyone. If anyone doesn't stumble, he's perfect. He's a perfect man. He has complete control. Makes me question, um, what if there's such a thing as a, as a tongue transplant? Maybe we need one. A new tongue. No, what we need is a transformation of the heart and the mind. That's what we need. Let's read verse 3. It says, If we put bits into the mouths of horses so they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships. Also, though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they're guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. And see, these tiny little instruments, this little bridle, that, this little, little tiny little piece of the harness goes in the horse's mouth, and the rider on the reins controls the horse or the ship, massive ship, how many feet long it is, and this, this captain, a little tiny wheel and a rudder, and that whole ship is controlled and directed wherever he desires. And it's true with our mouth as well. How many of you have never said, I wish I hadn't said that? We have all said, I wish I hadn't said that. If only I kept my mouth shut. If only I hadn't said what I did. A good friend of mine, he wouldn't mind me, mind, me, mind me mentioning his name is Don Thiessen. I really, he's a great friend of mine. He said one time, and I always remember this, he's a man of few words, 
you know him. He said, you seldom have to apologize for what you don't say. That is so true. I'm not saying, and he's not saying we never should speak, but our words should be seasoned. Our words should be weighed. They should be thought. And I'm not saying we can't joke around, we can't have humor, but in a positive, healthy way. But let's, go, let's continue on what James is saying here about the tongue, the, 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 the strife it causes. Verse 5, he says, So also the tongue, comparing it to the ship's rudder and the horse's bit, he says, So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest it set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Now we all wish we didn't have a tongue, maybe. Just reading a passage like this makes it sound as better, like we wouldn't have a tongue at all. How dangerous it is. As I said before, we can't get a tongue transplant. That's not how it works. We need a heart change, a heart, a spiritual heart renewal. Such a small little piece of the body, yet such big damage. Let's continue reading verse, verse 7. James continues, For every kind of beast and bird, reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. Verse 10, From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth the same opening from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. By now, some of us really might feel we'd be better off without our tongue. Let's face it. Our tongue needs to be taken over by our Lord Jesus, His Spirit. That's what it needs to be. Let's face how much discord, how much strife, how much disunity is caused by our tongue. As I mentioned before, we're called to be a people of peace, but so often our tongue is what gets in the way. You listen to the news, you read the news, there's so much going on. And the foolishness of the mind and the heart is revealed through the words of the tongue. So often it's just better not to speak. Proverbs, and I don't have the verse here, Proverbs says, even a fool is considered wise when he does not speak. Another one humorously quipped, he said, just let people think, if, think you're a fool instead of opening your mouth and removing all doubt. James gives us pointers. He says, Verse 13, who is wise understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. You see that meekness, wisdom? He says, verse 14, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Verse 16, he says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first, now get this, pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy 
and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's reflect on this for a few minutes. Are you and I people who people love to listen to? Do we bring courage and cheer? Are we people who, when we come, others are delighted and excited and encouraged? Are we the kind of people whom others want to be close to and be around with? Or are we kind the people when we come, we bring a cloud of darkness, an atmosphere of, of, of uh, cloudiness with us, tension and uncertainty and anxiety and worse toxicity? What kind of people are we? The world has no shortage of people who are difficult to be around and hard to live with. Are we people like that? Who are we? One pastor said many years ago, some people make you glad when they come. Others make you glad when they go. What are we? When our presence, whatever that presence is, when our presence does not bring the sweet fragrance of love and joy, then there's something wrong with us. But maybe rather more something wrong in us. We're called to peace. And again, reading the verse 17 on the board here, but the wisdom from above is first pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What's your role and my role in all of this? Be peacemakers. And it won't always go well. Sometimes it will backfire. And Jesus did say, I didn't come to bring peace, he came to bring a sword, but that's in a different context. But your efforts to make peace will not always be met with acceptance. Sometimes you'll pay a price. Remember many years ago, a man told me the story that um, there was a guy in his community he didn't get along with people. But he didn't see that he was the problem. One day he called him and was my friend, and I'll just call this other guy Mr. X. And so one day Mr. X calls my friend and starts venting and dumping how bad life is and how difficult things are and different people. And, and this friend of mine, he really just was feeling uncomfortable and he just wanted to kind of edgewise get a word in saying maybe it's not that bad and maybe you could do something or maybe it's not everybody else's fault. He didn't know how to say it because he didn't want to turn him away. He didn't want to ruin the relationship. He didn't want to just lose it, you know. And, and he, you know how it is. He's on the phone and just, just listening to this, this poisonous bile coming out of that Mr. X's mouth on the other end of the line and he's just listening and listening and he shared the story with me. At one point in time, Mr. X, he's just letting, just venting, and he says, I seem to have problems with everybody. And my friend couldn't help himself. He just simply said, maybe that should tell you something. Oops. The guy, Mr. X, was mad. I'm done with you. We're finished. Our friendship is over. That little bit, the other guy needed to hear but wasn't ready to hear. So my encouragement to us this week is maybe somebody will come and talk to me. Hey, Jake, you need to be more peaceful, or you need to work on peace in your heart. Maybe somebody will talk to you. First, let's just shut up, listen. Let others talk. 
Don't fix them. Don't correct them. Don't change them. Let them speak. Don't try to apply this to anybody else. I mean, okay, didn't you hear the sermon on Sunday? You're supposed to be quiet and let me talk. That's not what we're doing here, okay? I just want you to get that. This is for me. This is for you. Let's be open, honest, and transparent. You know, I'm sometimes wrong. So are you. Jesus called us to a life of peace. It means that we expose ourselves, become vulnerable, let others speak into our lives, and then listen. It means we do not allow the stubbornness, the hate, the animosity, the greed, and the power of the world to influence us. We continue to be patient where the world is losing it. We continue to love where there's so much hate. We continue to be kind where there's so much rudeness. We continue to make peace where the world makes war. I'm not saying we should never speak hard truth in the right place in the right time, but prayerfully and carefully. Evil does need to be confronted, but in a way that points to God and leads to peace. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this morning, for your word. You're a God of peace. You're a God of love, of grace, of mercy, and gentleness, and sacrifice. And you, you've modeled for us a way to peace, that if we follow it, there will be peace in our hearts. Maybe not peace in the world, but peace in our hearts. I pray that for each and every one of us, that we'd walk out of here with peace in our hearts and live out that peace in our community so that people can know and see there is peace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you please stand with us?